All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad all of you are here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be home. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee this last week for five days and had the opportunity to speak at a church in Knoxville uh, last weekend and had a great time there with some pastors and, and at that church. But I'm glad to be home. I missed you guys. So uh, really, really glad to be here. We're in the midst of a teaching series um, entitled Life Inspired. One of the great tragedies of the modern world is the number of people who are living uninspired lives, who are just going through the motions, taking the path of least resistance, looking to be entertained, but not really living. And then this kind of life leads to emptiness and boredom, even despair. You know, in a recent um, edition of the online magazine Salon, I, I read a letter sent in by a reader looking for advice. This is what this person wrote. I have it all. Life has been good. Though by no means rich, I have money in the bank, a solid marriage, and prospects for a comfortable future. Um, but I'm happier when I have less. This life has numbed me into not feeling happiness. I have everything... And instead of being happy, I feel like a glutton. My story doesn't have a higher power to whom I lay blame or give credit either. Volunteering helps, but I need to find the long-term solution. Any ideas? Now, I love this person's honesty. They have everything they need, and yet they don't feel happy. They feel numbed by this life. Wondering, is, is this it? Is this it? You ever felt that way? I mean, especially here in America, we have creature comforts, we have medical care, transportation, entertainment, technology, all of which make our lives easier, but not really more satisfying and certainly not more inspired. So how did Salon respond to this person's desire for a solution to his emptiness? Here's what they said. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting a better life. I suggest you discuss your unhappiness with your wife and make some changes. I see a journey in your future. It won't be easy. There's no roadmap. You have to figure it out, but you can do it. Wow. Is that it? I mean, here is someone expressing their need for help in finding, finding meaning in life. And the only answer they get is you have to figure it out. There's no roadmap, but you can do it. I mean, I don't know about you, but that answer depresses me. I mean, if I have to figure out the meaning of life, if, if, if it rests on my shoulders to find hope and purpose, I'm in trouble. Which brings us back to the title of the series, Life Inspired. How do we live an inspired life? While the world may struggle to answer this question, God doesn't. He doesn't struggle to answer this. In his word, God gives us a roadmap to real life, to, to life with purpose and hope and, and meaning. And in this series, we're, we're, we're discovering what this roadmap is by looking at the lives of real people in the Bible who were living an uninspired life, but then they begin to experience a life inspired. And in these examples, we are learning that there are three key elements to living a life inspired. To live a life inspired involves embracing something, experiencing something, and engaging in something. So embrace 
experience and engage. So we're spending a few weeks looking at each one of these. And so for the first three weeks in this series, we talked about the foundational importance of embracing the gospel, living in the fullness of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, which means being honest about our sin and then continually living in the Father's embrace, knowing our identity is in him and knowing the joy of, of generosity. So, so to embrace the gospel is to live a life inspired by the goodness and the love of God towards us. But there's another facet to life inspired and it revolves around this idea of experiencing. Experiencing something. I mean, we live in a world that is, that is driven by, obsessed by experiences, whether it's jumping out of airplanes or uh, uh, with a parachute or uh, racing down a black diamond slope or, or going to a concert or visiting a places on our bucket list. I mean, it isn't enough in our society today. It isn't enough to just read about something or hear about something. We want to experience it. We want to experience it. Now, the, now the good news is God totally gets us. He totally gets this about us. He doesn't want a life for us that is simply about information or, or vicarious observation. No, he wants us to experience him, to experience his transformative power in a real and, and tangible way. So today, we're going to meet a man whose experiences with God dramatically impacted his life. And, 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 and we're going to see how we can experience that same transformative power as well. This man's name was Peter. Peter was a fisherman by trade. But one day he met Jesus and he chose to leave everything and follow Jesus. Peter was one of the three disciples that were very, very close, kind of his inner circle of Jesus. And, but he also had some rough edges. He had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. Um, and not only that, he failed Jesus at a moment when Jesus needed him the most. On the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Three times he denied even knowing him. So then a few days later, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met Peter, met with Peter, and he gave him a charge to minister to Jesus' followers. Feed my sheep. That's what Jesus told him. Told him, feed my sheep. So here we have Peter, who knows Jesus, he has a specific call on his life to minister for Jesus, but he is struggling. He's struggling. There is something he's missing. There is something he needs to experience in order to, to, to have this inspired life Jesus is calling him to experience. So what is that something? Well, Jesus tells him in Acts chapter 1, Verses four and five, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, that something, the, the, the something that Peter and the other disciples needed was the Holy Spirit experiencing the spirit. See, Jesus refers to this as a promise. He says, wait for the gift my father promised. So what promise is Jesus talking about? What promise is he referring to? Well, we find out in the next chapter, in Acts chapter two, 
where Peter discusses this promise by quoting from the book of Joel in the Old Testament. This is what he says. Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. See, this is an amazing promise when we understand the context. You see, in the Old Testament, when the book of Joel was written, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God was present with his people, but in a very limited way. God gave instructions initially for his people, once they had come out of Egypt, um, for his people to to, um, build a tabernacle, which was basically a big tent. In a, a kind of a temporary temple, um, a big tent in which the presence of God would dwell. And later that, that became a more permanent um, building known as the temple. But, but his presence was focused on a particular physical location. Now, in addition to that location, there were times, periodically, there would be times when the Spirit of God would come upon certain people for certain tasks. So the Holy Spirit came upon a, a guy named Bezalel, who was, when he was building the tabernacle, says the Spirit of God came upon him, came upon Samson, came upon Elijah, came upon David, as well as 70 uh, people who were around Moses. So, so this empowering happened in the Old Testament, but again, it was a highly selective, very unique and periodic thing. But the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel was describing a day that was coming when the same spirit of God would be poured out on all of God's people and not for a particular task or a limited time, but to indwell them permanently. Sons and daughters, young and old, even on the lowliest of servants, Joel says, God's spirit would one day come and live in all of God's people, which is an amazing promise. And it's the very promise Jesus was referring to when he tells Peter and the other disciples to wait a few days until this promise is fulfilled. Peter's life is about to drastically change drastically change, and it all hinges upon this life-inspired reality, experiencing the Spirit. His life is going to dramatically change, and it hinges upon this, experiencing the Spirit. Okay, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, what happens? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all the believers. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What Joel described in the Old Testament was now a reality. The Spirit of God was poured out upon all his people. Notice in what we just read, these tongues of fire, it says these tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. All of them, 
all 120 that were gathered there, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just a few, not just a handful of super spiritual types. No, everyone in that room, men and women, young and old, suddenly had the Spirit of God living in them. Now, the cool thing is, later in chapter 2, we are told that this promise Jesus gave to the disciples that God's Spirit would now live in them, this promise is available to each and every one of us. How do we know that? Well, look at what Peter says in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, he's using the exact same language Jesus used in Acts 1. The gift of the Holy Spirit, this prom, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. I mean, did you hear that? This promise is for you and your children and even anyone who feels like they are far off, who feels like they are light years from God. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. Receiving the Spirit is not about being perfect. It's not about eating healthy um, or voting a particular way or having a failure-free past. No, no, no. God says any one of us can receive his spirit permanently by choosing to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus. If you have done that, if you have done that, the same spirit that filled those believers on the day of Pentecost lives in you. And this spirit has the power to inspire you. The word inspire speaks of breath. The Old Testament, the, the language of the spirit is identical to the word breath. There's this inspiration. The spirit has the power to inspire you, to bring new life into places that are lifeless and dormant. Okay, so, so let's get really practical. What does this new life look like? So we have the Spirit living in us. What difference does it make in our everyday lives having the Spirit of God living in us? Well, in the example of Peter, we see. We see three specific and life-changing differences. First of all, having the Spirit in us gives us access to experiencing intimacy with God. It, it gives us access to experiencing intimacy with God. I, I want us to take a moment here and look at the first few verses of Acts, Acts 1. So we're going to go back before Pentecost. Uh, the last few verses, excuse me, the last few verses of this chapter. This is just before Pentecost occurs, okay? The disciples and the others, other believers of Jesus are gathered. There are about 120 people there. Peter stands up and he points out that since Judas... The betrayer has died. They need to select a replacement, another witness to the resurrection. And so they propose the names of two men. Then they pray and they ask God to show them which one is to be Judas' replacement. All, all of that's great up to this point. All of it's great. But at that point, they do something really interesting. We're told in verse 26 that they cast lots. They cast lots. What that most likely involved was writing the name of each man on a rock, and then they would put these two rocks in a jar, and they would shake it up, and they would turn it over. And whichever name came out first, that was the one the Lord wanted. Now, there was nothing wrong with them doing this at this point. I mean, lots had been cast in other contexts to determine God's will. Nothing wrong. But here's, here's what I want to highlight. After that moment, after that moment at the end of Acts chapter 1, we don't see anywhere where lots were ever used again to make a decision. Why? 
Because the Spirit now lives in us. Why look to some external rocks in a jar when you have the very Spirit of God living in you? You see, this, this, the, the, awakening, the awakening that happens in Acts as the Spirit of God comes to live in his people involves an awakening to a deeper level of intimacy with God where he actually speaks to us and he actually leads us. So throughout these chapters in Acts, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is clearly leading Peter. In Acts chapter two, the Spirit gives Peter the words to speak to this crowd that's wondering what the heck is happening. And in Acts chapter four, the Spirit gives Peter the words to speak to the authorities that arrest him. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is praying and the Spirit gives him a vision Um, That has incredible significance. And then the Spirit tells him to go downstairs and meet the three men who are looking for him. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Clearly, the Spirit is communicating to Peter information and direction and leading. Whereas before, Peter made decisions by casting lots. Now there is a totally new dynamic. Totally new dynamic. There is an intimate experience a friendship with the spirit who lives in him and this spirit is communicating to him. I mean, which would you rather have? Some rocks in a jar or the very presence of God? (laughs) Which would we rather have? Now, Now we may say, well, that was Peter. I mean, he was an apostle. Surely you're not saying that the spirit wants to speak to us in the same way. That's exactly what I'm saying because that's exactly what the New Testament says. Paul says, for instance, there are many passages, but for instance, Paul says in Romans 8, verses 14 to 16, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received, you already received him, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, what Paul is describing here is for any follower of Jesus. This is for any, this is normal Christianity right here. Any follower of Jesus, the spirit who lives in us wants to speak to us. He wants to lead us. That's what he said in verse 14. And in verse, at the end of that, verse 16, he says he wants to bear witness. He wants to testify. In other words, he wants to remind us of God's love for us. Lovers communicate. The Spirit of God longs to communicate with us. That, I mean, that's an amazing thought. The God of the universe wants to talk to you. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty inspiring, actually. The key issue is, are we listening? Are we listening? Are we learning to hear his voice? You know, one of my passions is to help us as a church Learn how to hear the Spirit's voice. I, I wrote a book last year. Uh, many of you know about it, but it, it was all about this because I just wanted a resource we could use to help us grow in this. It's called More, When a Little Bit of the Spirit's Not Enough. And in this book, I devote four chapters to this topic uh, because it is so important. In fact, I took material from a listening prayer class I had done, and I just I kind of put them in those four chapters for that very purpose. And so if, you, if you've not picked up that resource and you're, you want to learn how to hear God speak, I encourage you to, to check out that resource. They're available in our, our bookstore, our library here. Amazon Kindle has them for like 99 cents right now. There's an audio version that's also available. 
But in this book, I describe how for years in my Christian life, for years, even as a pastor, I didn't think God spoke to me. I believed he spoke because I believe the New Testament taught that. I just didn't think he spoke to me. And maybe some of you can relate to that. And I longed for him to speak to me, but I didn't think he ever did. And then I began to learn some things that I talk about in some of that material, but some learn some things about how to hear him, how to pay attention to his whispers. And I realized he actually was speaking. I just wasn't paying attention. I was expecting something really dramatic. He was whispering. I was missing it. And that totally dramatically changed my experience of prayer, my experience of intimacy with him. Not long ago, I was praying with someone. And and instead of doing all the praying, which I am am, am prone to do sometimes, I decided to stop at, at one point. And in the middle of this prayer time with this person, I just stopped and asked Jesus to speak to this person about a particular image they had of themselves. And then we just waited for the spirit to speak. And the spirit did. He gave this person a totally new picture of themselves. It was amazing. It was amazing. You could see just the change in those moments. It radically changed, dramatically changed this person's perspective in that moment. And I believe that the spirit wants to do that sort of thing all the time. All the time. The biggest problem is we're not listening. We're not stopping and being quiet. We're not listening. We're not stopping to see if he has anything to say. We're, we're, too, we're too busy or we're doing all the talking. Those are probably the two things that are happening. And the result is we're missing out on, on a critical part of what it means to have a life inspired where the spirit of God is breathing life into us. His voice is speaking. And as we grow in the adventure of intimacy with God, it is an adventure to hear his voice and to obey him, to follow him in that way. By the way, we have an awesome opportunity to grow in our experience of the Spirit this coming Thursday night and all day Friday at Quiet Waters. Imagine having, in the busyness of our lives, imagine having that much time to just be in the Lord's presence. That's what Quiet Waters is all about. There's no agenda other than listening to the Lord, being in his presence. Now you're going to think, well, what? I'm going to get bored. No, you won't be bored. Trust me. There are going to be times of quiet. There are going to be times of worship. There are going to be times of reflection, reflection, times of looking at the word. All of this is going to be guided by four facilitators, one of which is me and some other folks who will be, will just be trying to listen to the Spirit's leading and what he wants us to be doing. We also have several teams, prayer teams that are available for listening prayer. And, um, and so the first several people that, that sign up for listening prayer can sign up for a, or can sign up for a slot and uh, will be prayed for on Friday afternoon. So I encourage you, encourage you to consider coming to Quiet Waters. It would be worth taking a vacation day on Friday just to experience this as a way to grow in our intimacy with the Spirit. Some of you, just the, he- the craziness of your life right now, in your, in your own spirit, you're, you're kind of sensing, man, I could use a day like that. Thursday night, Friday, just to be in the Lord's presence. So you do need to register. If you want to be a part of Quiet Waters, you need to register online by Monday, okay? By Monday. All right, so first is intimacy with God. Secondly, having the spirit within us gives us access to an unexplainable peace in the midst of difficulty. An unexplainable peace in the midst of difficulty. In Acts chapter 12, we read about, again, we're trying to look at Peter's example, right? And so we're just looking at 
snapshots of his life through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, we read about how King Herod decided to go on a rampage against Christians, um, which sounds kind of familiar to uh, things today. Um, So he had James, the brother of John, arrested and put to death by the sword. That's what happens in Acts 12. Horrible. One of of Jesus' 12 disciples murdered. John's brother, James. When Herod saw how much certain Jews liked this, which is kind of sick, but they did, apparently. They liked Christians being killed. He then arrested Peter, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So Peter is in prison under heavy guard, anticipating a a probable death sentence. The church is praying earnestly for him, but things don't look so good. So what is going on in Peter's heart in the midst of this? Verse 6 of Acts 12. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. How does someone sleep in those circumstances? I mean, really, how does someone sleep? The, the, The very real possibility of execution the next day, in chains, surrounded by soldiers, and yet Peter is sleeping. What often keeps us from sleeping? Worry, fear, stress. Peter doesn't seem to have any problem with those things. (laughs) Why is that? Because Peter lived with an awareness of the spirit, that the spirit of God was with him. The spirit of God was with him. I mean, if God is with you, as the psalmist would say, If God is with you, what can mere man do to you? What can people do to you? What What can circumstances do to you? Even if people or circumstances are to actually take our life, like James experienced, we are still in the presence of God. Nothing can separate us, not even death itself. See, Peter shows us the difference it can make when we know we have the Spirit of God with us and in us. An unexplainable peace in the midst of significant difficulty. Do you and I live in this reality? Or do we live on an emotional roller coaster that totally depends on the day and how people respond to us and how circumstances go? I totally get that. We're all there, right? But what I want us to grow from here is this, the reality that there is peace available to us 24-7. 24-7, and it is found in knowing that the Spirit of God is with you. That he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that he is orchestrating. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Not our battle with depression, not our battle with cancer, not the death of a loved one, not the loss of a job, not the rejection of a friend, not any challenging circumstance. Nothing can thwart the purposes of God. Nothing. When we know that, we can sleep. We can be at peace. He is with us always. Spirit of God is yours always with you. Third, we see that having the Spirit within us gives us access to a supernatural power. 
a supernatural power. Why is it we love these superhero movies and television shows? All right. You know, the heroes or adventure Avengers or Batman or whatever. We love that stuff. We love it. And it's not just about being entertained. I think this is the reason. There's something within all of us that longs to access power for, for good. We long to make a difference in people's lives, to make a difference in this broken world. So in the story of Peter, we see supernatural power at work, only this power is not, a, just not the stuff of movies. This is real. It's real. I mean, right after the Spirit is poured out in Acts, Peter stands up, right at the, right at the spur of the moment, right? Stands up, gives a message proclaiming the gospel to thousands of people there. This, this is the guy, remember, this is the same guy who just six weeks before denied ever knowing Jesus. Denied knowing him. And now he's standing up, boldly proclaiming Jesus to thousands of people. 3,000 people come to Christ on the spot. I mean, that's a new power that Peter is walking in. There's something new here. Next chapter, Acts chapter 3, he and John were going to the temple to pray one afternoon. And there is a man outside the temple, a man who was lame from birth, begging for money. When he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. This is what we read. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking you by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. See, Peter is now doing the stuff that Jesus did. He is seeing people healed in Jesus' name. And it's not just Peter. There are others, including non-apostles, who are seeing the same kind of power unleashed. Stephen and Philip, to name a few. The same spirit that healed people through Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that healed people through Peter's ministry, that same spirit lives in you and me. That spirit lives in us. Are we aware of the power that resides in us? A couple of months ago, a friend of mine got a brand new red Corvette. And I happened to be visiting him that day. I didn't know about it, um, but the day he got it, I happened to be at his house the day he got it. He was showing it to me, and he, he started up, and man, you know, you, you could just hear the power in this baby, right? Well, then he said, go take it for a spin. And so at first, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I'd be too nervous, but, but he, he insisted. And so Raylene and I hopped in and uh, put the top down and we took it out on the road. Now, what would you think if I had backed out of the driveway and then driven 15 miles an hour all the way around the block? Even I wouldn't do that, okay? That would be ridiculous. With all this power under the hood, why on earth would I drive 15 miles an hour? And I didn't. Uh, when I got to a safe place, I stepped on the pedal and, and felt it go from zero to 70 very quickly. Um, you know, you, you don't drive a car like that to go slow. 
And the same thing is true spiritually. We don't have the spirit of God living in us so that we can drive slow. So so that we can play it safe. So that we can just exist day to day. No, we're driving a red Corvette. The God who created the universe lives in us. The God who calmed the sea. The God who healed the sick. That God lives in you. (laughs) And he wants us, he wants you and me to experience his power. Are we expecting that? Are we expecting that? Are we asking the spirit of God to do amazing and powerful things? And if we're not asking, why not? If we're not expecting, why not? We're sitting in a red Corvette and yet some of us are driving 15 miles an hour. When God wants to do so much more, so much more. This is why we as a church so often talk about praying for the sick, praying for those who have a a, a physical condition, who have pain, who have a disease or whatever, praying and asking God to heal. If we don't ask, how can God demonstrate his power? If we don't ask, how can he demonstrate his power? A couple of months ago, um, I, I spoke about healing in, our, in a, our services, and then we took some time at the end of the message to pray for the sick. And um, there was a woman there who had suffered from fibromyalgia for over 10 years, constant pain in her joints, muscles, even her skin. Couldn't run, was exhausted from just walking 20 feet, couldn't even shop for groceries. That was how she was living. So when the invitation came, Everyone was standing. Invitation came to sit down if you'd like to receive healing prayer. She did, believing God was going to heal her. She just just was believing God was going to touch her and heal her. So a few folks gathered around her, and we all prayed for healing um, for all those who were seated. Um, she, and she, she told me later she immediately felt something happening in her body. When the prayer time was done, she stood up without pain for the first time in years. She began walking down the aisle of the worship center. Then she started running around the worship center looking for me to tell me. When she found me, she could hardly contain her excitement. That was six weeks ago. That was six weeks ago. I talked to her the other day. She is still doing great. She went on a hike for the first time in years. She can now shop for groceries again. It is a miraculous work of the Spirit. I don't, I don't know why God does, doesn't do that for everyone we pray for. I don't, I don't know why. But stories like that inspire me and motivate me to keep on asking, to keep on giving opportunity for God to do stuff like that, to keep on believing the Spirit of God is still at work. In fact, in Knoxville this last week, I was talking with a pastor, and he was telling me, um, the story of uh, someone in his circle of influence who at a service here at Christ Community, was not, this person was not a believer at that time, and uh, went for prayer, I think he said to one of the prayer teams after a service because of some back pain. That afternoon, after they, they prayed, didn't necessarily sense anything, then that afternoon he was healed. His back pain went away. And that was a significant reason why this, this person is now a Christian. He became a Christian because of that. What does it mean to live an inspired life? It means living every day, realizing that you are a carrier of the Spirit of God. 
wherever you go. You are a carrier of the Spirit of God at school, at work, at home, in your bedroom, in your neighborhood. No matter where you go, the Spirit of the living God lives in you. He wants to awaken in you an intimacy, a peace, and a power beyond what you ever dreamed possible. Are you and I experiencing this Spirit? If not... In terms of the level we want to experience him, if not, let's ask for more. See, Jesus told us in Luke 11, verse 13, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the context here is ask, seek, knock. It's to continually ask. Don't give up. Keep asking. How much more, he says. So if we want to live lives that are inspired, if we want to live lives that are breathed into by the Spirit of God, let's ask Him for more. Let's ask Him for more. Let's expect Him to do more. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for anyone who has placed their trust in you that the Spirit of God lives in them. And there may be some of you here, I'm going to give a couple of invitations here. First of all, some of you, you don't know if the Spirit of God lives in you because you don't know if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Or maybe you know that you haven't done that and you need to. It's not about being a good person, trying hard and, you know, trying to impress God. Nope, it's about admitting you're a sinner and placing your trust in Jesus who died on the cross for you. That's it. It's a gift you receive. If you're not certain you have the Spirit of God in you, you can receive this gift right now. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and that you're holy and I'm separated from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. I want you living in me. Even though there's nothing I can do to get to you, you came to me through the person of Jesus. And Jesus, you came to earth and you died on a cross for me. You took my sin upon yourself. You paid the penalty I should have paid in my place. You died in my place. And I choose right now to repent of my sin. I acknowledge my need and I place my trust in you. I bring you my sin and my failures and my faults and my um, fears and all my questions and doubts. I bring it all to you and I place it on you, Jesus. And I now receive you. Forgive all of my sin and come live in me through the presence of your spirit. I receive you. Change me from the inside out. Father, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you as you change them through your spirit that lives in them. Now, the rest of us here, we've prayed that prayer. We've trusted Christ. And if that's the case, you have the spirit of God living in you. So I want to pray right now. Lord, I pray for an awakened intimacy, a deepening intimacy with you. That you would awaken us to hear your voice and to expect that and to be attentive to that. Lord, so I just pray you'd help us grow in this for your glory, Lord. Help us grow in intimacy. And I want to pray as well for an unexplicable peace, an unexplainable peace to be poured out right now in the hearts of 
each person here, especially those going through difficulty and hardship, you would fill them with your peace that they would know you are with them. You are with them, Lord. And Father, we want to pray as well. We welcome your spirit. Just we pray for a supernatural power to be demonstrated. We pray for that. We welcome you, Spirit, to bring healing in these next few minutes, Lord, to bring healing here. Stir our faith. Stir our faith, God. So here's what we're going to do. We've done it a number of times. We're going to do the same thing we've done before. I'm going to have all of you stand. So why don't you stand? If you're able to stand, please stand. Everyone standing. And here's the way this is going to work. If you'd like to receive healing prayer, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not, you're not going to have to explain your condition or anything like that. What we're going to do in just a moment, I'm going to have you sit down. If you want to receive healing prayer, you're going to sit down. And then the people that are seated around you are just going to place their hands on you. And I'm going to say a prayer over us. And if those around you, if they want to pray a prayer as well, they can. You don't have to. If you're gathering around people, you don't have to say anything. But in our hearts, let's pray for these people. But this could include anything. I feel like there may be some people here and it's something you've prayed about a long time and you've sort of given up. And, and unless the Lord has told you to stop praying, I would just encourage you, receive prayer. Why not keep asking and have people pray for you? There is a faith demonstrated in sitting. There's a, there's a humility demonstrated in, in sitting. And that's what makes it so hard sometimes. Hard just admitting we have a need. But I want to encourage you, that's a part of this faith thing, to sit down believing God can heal you, that he can heal you. We're not promising that he will, we're just going to ask him to do that. So this could be pain, this could be a condition you've had, diabetes has kind of been going in my head this afternoon, so maybe it's something with diabetes or insomnia, maybe it's depression, maybe it's something like that. If you have a condition and you would like to receive prayer for healing, what I'm going to have you do in, in just a moment is sit down. Now, if you're in a wheelchair and you're unable to, I mean, you're, you're seated right now, and you want to receive prayer, we're going to ask you just to raise your hand. We don't want to assume that you want to receive prayer. So if you're in a wheelchair and you'd like to receive prayer, just raise your hand when everyone else sits down, okay? So let's just do it right now. Go ahead. If you'd like to receive healing prayer, don't be afraid. Just sit down where you are. Sit down where you are. Okay, everyone's seated that wants to receive prayer. All right, good. Now we get to be the body of Christ here. This is the fun part. So all of you, and again, we're doing this at all of our campuses here. I want every person who's seated um, to have someone around them. Again, if someone's in a wheelchair and they're raising their hand, gather around them. But let's have people gather around them. So if you have to move around, go ahead and move right now. Just quickly go over to these people. We're going to gather around them, and we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Cool, just make sure everyone's seated. We got, yep, got some folks coming up here, which is awesome. Make sure everyone that's seated has a team, has, a pe has people around them. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Here's our job. If you're gathering around someone, our job is to pray in faith, okay? Our job is to pray in faith. You don't have to pray out loud, again, but we are praying. We don't even know this. The Lord knows the condition of this person, but we're gonna be asking him to heal and the Holy Spirit to come upon them and bring healing, Okay? 
That's our job as prayers. Okay, so here we go. And I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray over us. If you want to pray out loud, you can. If you want to pray silently, you can. But let's ask. So, Lord, we thank you for these people who are seated. Thank you for their humility, their faith. And they're crying out to you and you see them and you know them and you love them. And Holy Spirit, we are asking in obedience to your word, we are asking you to heal these people, Lord. We pray, we bring every cell in their body under your authority. We pray for the, the parts of their bodies that are, that are struggling, Lord, where there is pain, there is difficulty, something is not working correctly. We pray for your healing right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill that place. Fill those places with your peace and your power. Pain gone in the name of Jesus. Pain gone. Cancer gone. Diabetes gone in the name of Jesus. We pray any disease gone now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill these people. Fill them with your peace. Fill them with your power, Lord. Fill them with your hope and your encouragement and your persistence, Lord. Fill them, God. Holy Spirit, come. You know exactly what they need. And so we pray you would bring that. And we pray most of all, they would know how much you love them. They would know that. And God, whether anything happens as a result that they can sense or not, today and the days and weeks to come, I, we pray that even if nothing happens according to what they were hoping for, Lord, we are praying that they would know that you're in control, that you see them, that you know them, you love them. And I'm also asking, we are asking, God, if there is some root cause to this, physical condition, emotional condition, there's a root cause that this person is unaware of. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's, it's something going on. If there is a root cause, we pray that you would bring that to the surface. They would, they would ask for prayer specifically about that with some people they know and that you would get at the root of that. So we are praying for emotional, physical healing of, of their entire being and your encouragement upon them, God. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now you can, you can stand. You can go back to your seat. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for those who sat down. Thank you for those who prayed. So, Lord, we, we love you. We welcome you. And here's the deal, God. We long for more of your spirit. That was just a small part. Of it. We long to live in this reality. So we pray right now as we continue to worship that you would be coming you would be speaking. You would be moving. We long for more of you. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us, Lord. With peace, with intimacy, with this intimate relationship with you, and, and, and with power, God. Thank you, Lord. We welcome you, God.